Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, co-hosted by Ed, Jody, and Steve. Once again, welcoming Ed and Mike, and today a special guest that we'll introduce in a moment. The show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. We also invite listeners to send any questions, comments, or other feedback that they may have about the show to our new email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Please let us know what subjects you would like us to discuss and if you prefer that your name be mentioned or you would rather remain anonymous. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. As promised, we have with us the esteemed representative, Melissa Blasick from the New Hampshire State Legislature. She's a friend of the show and we've invited her on because she wants to discuss an issue that has global ramifications. So turn it over to you, Melissa. Hi, okay, thanks. So, well, first let's discuss the problem. We've seen this past year that um, even in places that did not have mask mandates from the government, everywhere you still have to wear a mask for the most part, there's very few exceptions, right? And now, now we're seeing the vaccine passport. And while the Biden administration has said that they are going to develop one, I actually truly doubt that any government will mandate a COVID passport. The reality is what they will do is that big business will go ahead and move as a block to require the vaccine passport. And we're already seeing big businesses say that they're going to do that. So that's the, that's the problem. Now I see this as, the problem arose from immense corporatism that has developed over a very long time. And what's happened is that big business is so intertwined with big government that the lines have become blurred. And essentially, big corporations have become agents of the state. They're not really private entities 100%. And so I've introduced, well, I, I'm working on a bill um, that HB 506 in New Hampshire um, that would change the public accommodation laws. Now, I know a lot of us don't like that public accommodation laws even exist to begin with. Um, but at the time, this was the only way that I could think to start handling the situation. Um, and I'm facing a ton of pressure, backlash, I guess I should say. Not, I mean, the Democrats are out because they love authoritarianism, right? They love these mandates. This is like their dream come true. And then, um, but the Republicans, like the heavy libertarian Republicans, which we have a lot of those in New Hampshire, half of them do not like this bill because they believe that it interferes with private property rights. And I get that argument, I do. But at the same time, is it really private property? And that's what, what the bill is trying to do, Melissa. Tell us what the bill is trying so to do. So the bill, it changes the public accommodation laws to include vaccination as um, a protected class and um, use or non-use of a medical device as protected class. So 
Um, this would eliminate the ability to make mask mandates or vaccine mandates um, in the private or public sector. So you're trying to say that no restaurant can keep me out if I refuse to wear a mask, correct? That's correct. You know, I think we can all, we all agree that the role of government is to protect the rights of the people. Um, but when corporations are this heavily involved, does, I guess the ultimate question is, does the government have to protect the rights of the people, whether the actor is private or public? That's the ultimate well, question. Okay, yeah, and this is really global. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. No, no, you go. You can't ask that question in a vacuum. You know, in a vacuum, you know, in, in the abstract, sure, private businesses should be free to do what they want. But number one, we live in a society right now where public accommodation laws are basically a one-way street. Yeah. The, you know, a, a Christian baker can be forced to bake a cake, but, you know, if I, if I object to wearing a mask, that's, you know, and, and the business wants to require it, I'm not allowed to object to that. And, and that's just got to be completely unacceptable. Public accommodation laws have to either apply to everybody or, or nobody. Or if you're going to have some select class to remediate slavery, well, okay, we can have, you know, maybe, maybe apply it to blacks. But I'm not sure that that's even a, 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 a proper use of public accommodation laws today. But bottom line is, I think they have to be applied across the board to everybody. And we're, we're being told on the one hand, when, when the, you know, when we want to, we, when, when our side wants to express moral objections to something, we're being told we have to go, we, we can't express moral objections. But on the other hand, the other side gets to express whatever moral objections they want. Um, and second point, um, sorry to filibuster a little bit here, but Again, you have to look at the context of what's going on in our society. And what's going on is the government is deputizing business to do things that government can't do directly. And we are, that's, that's the problem we're faced with. And when we have government legislators like yourself who see that problem and see other governments either directly trying to require businesses to do things, like for instance, uh, earlier this week, we had the the spectacle of uh, of the tech companies going and, and being and testifying at Congress, and the Democrats on that committee basically haranguing the tech companies to censor conservatives more and more, or they'd face regulation. Uh, again, the, the the Congress couldn't couldn't do that directly, uh, but even even if it's not a direct threat like like the tech hearings this week you know, let's go with the masks. Let's go with the lockdowns. You can't have 13 months of mask mandates, which completely tilt the playing field and then just say, well, we're going to let businesses make whatever choice they want, but not put in some sort of, you know, legal liability protection, you know, so the businesses don't get sued, right? People have been conditioned for 13 months now that they have to wear a mask. And if anybody goes into a store without a mask or a venue without a mask, you know, if we have this libertarian anarchist uh, paradise implemented, the businesses are going to be subject to lawsuits from anyone who gets sued. So, you know, to turn around and say, well, the business can just do whatever it wants and then ignore the fact that the government action over the last 13 months has completely tilted the playing field. I think I think it's it's foolish and it's not. Uh, it, it's not 
it, it's ignoring reality. And, you know, I think that if you want to let businesses choose what they want, well, then how about making, you know, making sure that there's legal protection for them so that they can't get sued, for instance, if somebody, you know, co contracts COVID in their venue. We actually do have some COVID liability bills, but they're actually dreadful. Um, the entire idea, I think, the premise is, is, is uh, not great. Like, it seems like it should work, but then it doesn't work because their benchmark for gross negligence is following CDC guidance. <laughs> so, you know, like, that's kind of a problem. I mean, so now we have to, like, be well, both. Why not just say absolute liability? Why not just bar liability, period? And it's, it's not the business's fault. If you, you know, the same way we can have caveat emptor for other things, if you want to go into a business and you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. But you can't sue the business for, for getting, uh, you know, for giving you some sort of, uh, you know, for making you more vulnerable to the, to the virus. And I just want to clarify something. In a normal world, 10 years ago, you would be 99% opposed to the government mandating any private business do anything. But it's different today because we're no longer in normal territory. Is that your position? Um, not exactly. I mean, my views have evolved over the last 10 years and particularly over the last five years. Um, but I think um, in retrospect, I think that I think that some government control or some government, um, what's the right word? Manipulation of, of culture is, is okay. I don't think government, law by its nature can't be amoral. I mean, even the libertarian premise of, um, uh, you know, the non-aggression principle is a moral principle. Law is by its nature moral and it's going to necessarily embody moral premises. And I don't think that we should run away from that. And I think that one of the reasons why uh, Melissa is running into people who, uh, who have such objections to, to government action is because they have this, their hands in the air, that government can't do anything. And that the, the, the non-aggression principle bars pretty much any government action. Uh, and I think that we need to understand that that principle is, is disarming us in the face of an enemy that's trying to steamroll us right now. I would like to uh, comment um, by making it, uh, by paraphrasing the uh, great American philosopher, um, Kurt Schlichter. Um, and he says, there's a basic rule that far too many libertarians ignore. If some alleged libertarian pr principle makes you less free, then it's not a good libertarian principle and you should toss it in the trash. When some alleged principle helps leftists insurfify you, then it's pretty much garbage. That's a paraphrase, but you get the idea. Uh, and I think, um, I think the understanding, uh, you know, the, the idea is that, uh, you know, our principles should be based on reality. And when we have a situation where it is the government um, either forcing companies or companies forcing the government to force other companies to do things. Um, and it's gone far away from uh, a free market. Then I think, you know, the, the principles are anybody should be allowed to do anything they want anytime they want, which is never really true, um, uh, should be uh, put by the wayside to en enforce a more free society.
Yeah, but you know, no, nobody's uncomfortable with forcing me to let people into my business that I don't want. I mean, I open up a small restaurant. I got tables no, for five people. Well, I mean, I, I totally me who I have to let in. I, I totally uh, feel for you with regards to your restaurant, but you're not allowed to discriminate against, you know, race and sex and sexual orientation. And there's this whole list of things you're not allowed to discriminate against. And uh, um, if we add uh, people who don't want to wear face diapers to that list, um, then um, you're not losing a whole lot of, uh, of, of freedom as an owner uh, compared to what you already had. So the rule is going to be government can force private businesses to do X, Y, and Z under which circumstances? You know, Elliot told me he testified rather um, calmly for Elliot against a bill that, if I understand it correctly, is going to mandate time and space for nursing women in private businesses. And his argument among several is the government should not be mixed up in what private businesses do between them and their employees, et cetera, et cetera. And anytime we're letting, right now they've boxed libertarian slash conservatives into this space where, yes, we demand that government tells private business what to do. That's really a tough issue. It is. I definitely see both parts of this, but I also see what's happened with the COVID vaccine and the mask as being a government created problem, right? We've created a societal issue or government created a societal issue around these things. And eventually you have to fight back in some manner, right? Like you can't just continue to let it spiral and then allow the government to hide behind this philosophy and not have to deal with the ramifications, which the ultimate ramification is that you have taken away freedom from the people and you're infringing upon their most basic uh, liberties of bodily integrity. So I, I think see the way I see it, they've checkmated us into fighting their issue. That's correct. That's and and really if I can find another way around it, I would. I, I well, thought I about this all year. This was the only solution I could find was to change the public accommodation laws. Steve, why do you view it as fighting their issue? We're, why are you opposed to laws that promote a good society? Oh, a good society is defined by the two wolves eating the sheep for lunch, that good society? No, no, I don't think government has much of a role in deciding what's good for me. So, so murder, murder is a subjective thing too? We're gonna go with aggression and murder and you may say aggression is a mask. Okay. And I think, I okay. think you know what? There was a gentleman who lived in the forties who really did a lot of good things for a good society. He had a funny mustache, but he definitely improved society and never did one illegal act. And there was another guy up in Russia and another guy in China, and none of them have ever broken a law, and all of them did it for the betterment of society. Okay. So I have a lot of issues with a government. And by the way, government in this sense means four of us right here on this screen can vote to take all of the money from two people on this screen and say we're doing it for the betterment of society and we're the majority. So I got oh, a lot of issues with that. No, that's majoritarianism, Steve. That's um, called you're, Republican you're ignoring the point that I made earlier that Every single law embodies a moral premise. Every single law is designed to, to get it, to, to promote a better society. All you're arguing for right now is anarchy. That's all you're arguing for. I'm arguing I, I... that the history of government 
is of killing hundreds of millions of people. Therefore, I'm going to lean much further towards anarchy than government getting involved in people's private businesses. Well, right now we've got private so, businesses that are working with government with the goal of killing people like us. Right, and, and therefore let's empower them more. So let's no, bring in government. Them more, standing up and fighting against them. No, we're by empowering them more. This is the same government that's in, that's importing COVID positive children across the border and spreading them all around the country and forcing us to say, we want more government to protect us from the mess they made. I Yes, I lean way towards anarchy. I'm not an anarchist, but this idea of it's for the good of the people is awful destructive. Well, so what has the government done for the good of the people? I'm not so sure that- I think there are lots of laws good. that are for the good of the people. I'm well, sorry? I think- for me, it's a slippery slope issue. Like, uh, you know, these kinds of things um, done by government for the good of the people, in particular in times of crisis and times where, you know, bad things are happening. And so there's that slippery slope of it creates a precedent that, you know, 10, 20 years later, these kinds of things are happening en masse. And I think a lot of laws are passed for the good of the people, as Steve alluded, that are not good of, for the good of the people. That's how they're sold. And they don't end up being that way. So I'm a little with Steve on that. I, I, I'm not comfortable with saying that, you know, a new law government uh, is the solution. I'm just, it's, well, to extend, uh, your, analogy, when, to extend in, your metaphor of slippery slope, we're skating on thin ice right now. And, and, okay, but Melissa, you're against mandatory vaccination, correct? Well, right. So let's talk about what I'm trying to preemptively fight against, right? So like what ultimately is going to end up happening here is that we're going to have mandatory vaccination that the government will push through corporations, okay? That's what we're trying to fight against. Now, you want to talk about non-aggression. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's sort of the ultimate forced vaccination to me is one of the most aggressive things that you can do. You were saying to somebody, especially in the, the COVID vaccine, which it only has emergency use authorization. So now you're gonna say that people have to be part of a medical experiment and it does not prevent transmission. So it wasn't even built to do that. It's, it's a therapy for people individually. So you're not even protecting the community, but they will say that this is for the betterment of society, right? Like that's what they're going to say. But it's absolutely not. And what would be betterment of society is allowing people to make their own decisions about their body and um, the risks that they want to take with their own health. And this is a, this is a risk assessment. Vaccination is a risk assessment. So to so, go back to that um, previous dictator's language, how does that stem with forcing private businesses to do that? Private businesses can't exclude people without a mask but we can do the other thing. How do those two jobs- Because they're not private businesses, really. When the government can twist their arms into forcing these kinds of things to happen, you're not talking about private property rights anymore. Right, I mean- I, are, Do you know that's all these businesses? I mean, I, I feel for some business course. out there who's like, wait, you're you're putting me in this pool with these businesses. I'm talking big corporations. How, but we watched the reality is, mask. All corporations, vaccine, I mean- the we vaccine passport with the in New York, okay? They're doing a vaccine passport in New York. And the way they're implementing it is businesses that, that require the passport will be allowed to reopen. So your, your baseline is this totally unconstitutional lockdown of businesses. 
And then they're allowed to open up if but only if they, they enforce this unconstitutional mandate that the government itself couldn't do. And I don't see how anyone could defend that, honestly. I don't think I'm personally not defending that. I'm just saying, why do you want to take it to the other side and say, but we will mandate that you can't, we will prevent you from making masks because what happened happen with the mask what happened with the mask is that they moved to that big corporations across the board okay airlines grocery stores uh you know big like box stores like target and walmart they're they're all in these groups together right they all moved together as a block and set the industry standard now does that mean that the mom and pop store went along with it no but now the industry standard was already set by the big guys now some of them still they held out and until their state decided or if they decided to make a mandate they didn't you know do that and that's absolutely true and you do have the right to go to those businesses but that's not really big competition Melissa, you know basically the government though. created monopolies Melissa I'm sorry to interrupt but it's even worse than that because you're right that the businesses, the, the big businesses set that standard, but they didn't set that standard in a vacuum. They set that standard in the context of a government that's yeah. been spout, sp putting out false fears about COVID and require, you know, false suggestions about mask wearing and suppressing information about uh, ivermectin and hydro hydroxychloroquine and other uh drugs that might be effective in dealing with the disease. And, and they've made it like the only way you can deal with this disease is by wearing a mask and being quarantined. So we're not starting from a baseline of zero. We're starting from a baseline of government, not just distortion of the market, but of, of, of government takeover of the market. There's no, there's no objection. There's no dissenting views allowed. So you, Melissa, you're, you're hundred percent right, but it, you're even more right. The government has completely tilted the playing field. So th those big businesses adopted those industry standards in the context of the government completely tilting the playing field in favor of that kind of industry standard. Do, right. Does nobody, do, do you not worry about the precedent that sets for the government to get more aggressive even in the future of saying what businesses can and cannot do? The sure, I worry about that. that. Public accommodation laws already exist. I'd like to talk to can. Steve's uh, basic idea and uh, I think we all agree that 99% of what the government does is, is unconstitutional. Um, and so the question then becomes, can you have further you know, illegitimate laws to, you know, will that Im improve our situation? And I, I, think, I think the answer is it can be. It, it, it can be just like, um, just like uh, Pinochet, uh, um, made Chile better by overthrowing the Allende government or that uh, uh, Zhukov uh, murdering uh, Beria made the Soviet Union uh, better. Um, I think one of the things we ought to understand is given the government we have and given the place we wanna be, um, what's more important, incremental, incrementalism towards where we want to be, if that's even possible, or figuring out how better people get control of the government we have. I mean, we have really, really awful people in charge of the government we have. And I think it would be a step in the right direction to get better people in charge of the government we have. And uh, as, as awful as that sounds. So, we, we, so uh, would you say we could cheat on elections to get better people in government since they cheat on elections? Yep. 
Okay. Well, I love your honesty. I don't know what to say. That's uh, courtesy. Well, I, don't, I don't disagree with that in Melissa. I'm just extremely uncomfortable with this. What's the saying that, um, you know, the people have the government that the people deserve because that's what they elected. I think you need to change the minds of the voters to get better politicians. Okay, so, but you have people like me in office and, but now it's like you're tying my wrists, you know what I mean, also, by saying that I can't of fact. the problem. There's also an element of fact here. Now, if it was Ebola with a 30% or, or smallpox with 30% death rate, um, I, I think people would be, I think it would be more reasonable to do, uh, you know, large, large, larger scale quarantines. Um, but this isn't Ebola and it isn't, um, it isn't smallpox and it's, um, it's, you know, three to five times worse than the flu. And that's, that's probably bad. I five times, I guess, um, worse than the flu. And, and, that, and that's bad, but it's not that bad. Um, and we don't shut this businesses down for the flu. We don't, uh, if, if I go to a restaurant and somebody sneezes behind me and I get the flu, I don't sue the restaurant. Um, so there is a, a kind of a, um, again, with a Stalin quote, you know, quantity has a quality all its own. And there's not a whole lot of quantity here. You know, it's, it's very, it's more similar to the flu than it is to Ebola, yet they're treating it like Ebola rather than the flu. And that's just wrong. And I think that um, if we can figure out a way to get them to treat it like the flu rather than like Ebola through whatever mechanism, then that's a win for all of us. Okay, so I here's what I want to say. Give me a minute. Here's what I want to say. Melissa has honored us by appearing on the show with one of the most intelligent panels of debaters probably in existence. And I mean that excluding myself. And I think we're willing to send Melissa off being able to say that she spoke to some of the most intelligent libertarian slash conservative people out there. And even the ones very, very concerned with further empowering government against private business are saying that this is the right step to take at this point in time. Would that be a fair statement? Amen. Smash the establishment. Ooh. No, and that lets Melissa say, because I know some of the people that Melissa is being opposed by. And I think what we're saying is we agree with everything they're saying, but in this case, we have to back her approach. Exactly. Need a way okay. out, you know? And that's why I'm arguing vehemently on their side, because I want to say, despite all of that, we still have to do this. Now, Melissa, I don't want to insult you publicly, but my understanding is that you teach music and that you probably use racist musical notation. And I am very concerned with this at the moment. <laughs> do you want to speak to that? I saw that and I almost died. <laughs> most insane thing ever yes yes i do use very racist sheet music <laughs> and you're not even gonna grovel and apologize for this sorry <laughs> folks a year ago we would have cackled like kamala harris this is oxford university saying we have to do away with sheet music well, it's got the word sheet in it, and that's KKK, you see. That's the problem. It's, it's, and it's white paper, right? It's white paper. 
Oh. A, a major, minor. Oh, it's just awful. You're right. That's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It separates people. Hierarchical. Hierarchical. Thank you. Major and minor. Can I, can I bring up a different subject that's kind of related? But again, this is like, you know, how far are we going to go with this? So we in New Hampshire, we have HB 544, which has gotten a lot of uh, national attention. And it is a ban on critical race theory teaching in public schools. The governor, this is why it's in made national news. It's got wild Republican support in the base. It's got wild Republican support in the House and the Senate. It's going to pass no problem. Um, the governor says he's going to veto it because it's a First Amendment violation because teachers have the First Amendment right to teach critical race theory or whatever they want. Is he on drugs? Is Sununu on drugs? I mean, is he, is he having an affair with Christy Noem? What, what is going on? What's on with these governors? He actually wants Democrat votes. That's my guess. He wants to run for Senate and he's courting the Democrats. I have to tell you, Melissa, I'm not thinking it all the way through, but this seems very close to the first issue we're discussing. Mm. You know, government, even though, yes, it's government schools, but the government is taking this both ways. We both mandate what they teach, but we don't mandate what they teach. I mean, exactly. how they're incredibly having this both ways. We have to teach sex ed to people in kindergarten and teachers have no right to opt out of that, but they have a right to say, we demand the right to teach critical race theory. I think this is very, very much related. Well, has anybody seen the um, nation's report card on our schools? It's horrible how poorly our public schools do and in particular in big cities. So why this is such an issue and not getting to why, I mean, civics, history, math, you, they really need to focus on what really is going to empower our students to have functional adulthoods and functional careers in the future. Where's that argument? Well, math, when two racists walk down the street and beat up a poor minority, how many racists should go to jail? And the answer is, of course, all white people. But um, well, you know, I've been saying for you know since we started this show almost a year ago that we need to use the lockdowns to our advantage, and especially the teachers' unions' refusal to go back to work. We shouldn't be fighting so hard to open the schools. We should be fighting hard to come up with alternatives to schooling and to encourage people to homeschool, to, uh, to use uh, alternative methods, whether it's, you know, one-to-one -one homeschool or maybe, you know, parents get together and, you know, one parent teaches three or four other kids and they don't have to be licensed by the state. There are lots of things that can be done um, to get kids out of this kind of uh, toxic environment that Sununu, that you're describing Sununu is, is, you know, supporting. Um, I remember government schools were allowed to be put there, all this compulsory education. It was for the good of the people. This yeah, was, it was a better society. That's right, to make and, better citizens. And I mean, really, was it though? Or was it just to create some medium educated people who could go out and be factory workers? And, well, they didn't oh, sell they it. Now they bow down to government. in response to the, the Catholic and Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe. And, you know, they wanted to Protestantize all these uh, Catholics and Jews that were coming over. If not religion and habits, yes, that was- so I have a question, I have a religious question. Because when I'm thinking about these religious, these public accommodation laws, 
and I can be forced to bake a cake to celebrate transitioning from one gender identity to another. What's to stop the government from saying that I have a kosher restaurant, but I have to serve bacon to non-kosher people and I can't claim religious rights. Why isn't that part of public accommodation? Because your religious rights are, are protected under public accommodation laws. Uh, not, on, not on a lot of them. They sometimes exempt that. From well, that. So I think, by the way, the, the baker is saying it's his religious beliefs that do not allow him right. to make cakes for gay marriages with messages and he's not protected. I think a lot the of the law- Freedom Restoration Act. Why can't they force me to sell non-kosher food? I think a lot of the law has to do with um, uh, antiquity. And obviously there's a lot of antiquity towards uh, kosher food and in, in the United States. And there isn't any for, you know, non-trans cakes, you know, something well, like also, that. Also, speaking to your, your, your example, Steve, if you're in a kosher restaurant, you don't have non-kosher food to sell which is different than the baker's case where he's selling cakes to anyone. I'll tell you well, what, that's not true. He said he sell them any Ed, cake, but just not that one. Ed, Ed, I'll explain to you why that's not true. Let me just finish and I'll let you go. The, the better example would be uh, kosher restaurants can have kosher meat and kosher cheese. And if some patient, patron wanted to buy a cheeseburger or you know a Reuben sandwich with, uh, with, with cheese melted on the, on the pastrami, could they force you to do it? That would be more analogous, I think. Well, that's what I'm talking about. And, and what would stop them from doing that? What, what logic is there to split that off, this poor Christian cake baker? And by the way, I think he needs to bring up that argument in court, except that they'll start forcing. See, what happens is generally kosher restaurants do not have both milk and meat. However, all kosher hotels do. And one of the big fights when you work in a hotel, which I have done, is when people want milk in their coffee when they're eating a meat meal. So if we can force this Christian baker to bake a trans cake, why can't we force me to have to put milk in that guy's coffee? And again, we're, we're back in the slippery slope. Now, I want to propose something because there's another issue on our show notes list that I definitely have to mention. So I will twist it into this argument here. Um, Melissa... What would happen if Governor Sununu called up your husband and offered him a $160,000 a year no-show job for the government? Do you think he could buy your vote? Or does that only work in West Virginia? Well, it'll work for me. <laughs> does everybody oh, know what I'm talking about? We have to get right? divorced. I, I don't know. <laughs> the president of the United States is bribing Manchin's wife with a government job and nobody's screaming. Could I, could I um, put my wife's uh, bank account information here right on the um, stream? So in case any uh, politician wants to give her 160000 um I'd be totally, completely fine with it. <laughs> is this the most open bribery ever? What is going on with our country? Well, Elaine Chow as the Commerce Secretary wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't bad enough, I suppose. But that was a Republican buying a Republican, right? Right. And this is a Democrat buying a Democrat. But this is literally buying the swing vote. I mean, this is as blatant as I've ever seen in this country. We're on crazy town. If this year taught me anything, it's that this is the country's off the rails. OK, <laughs> nothing makes sense. Every, we're, in, we're in a state of lawlessness. It is all made up. Do you know, remember, like, whose line is it anyway? That, that phrase keeps like running through my head where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. That's where we are. 
I think, you know, things would be better if people were informed, if people really heard that and under, but you know, when they're reading something and it makes it all sound good. Um, but I think people would be angry if they knew and they kind of got that information truthfully instead of spoon fed in a, and this is great that this is happening. I think, I think an uneducated populace is a dangerous populace. So somebody I know we, we brought up on, on one of our chats, this idea of licensed press. And I think we're starting to slip into that territory. And I don't know if we want to discuss that here and now, but it's a very fascinating subject since the press is so, so off the rails. And if they inform, it's misinformed and disinformed. What was it Twain who said? If you don't read, you're uninformed, but if you do read the press, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. um, if he didn't say it, it sounds like something he would have said. I'm very against making a licensed press because almost the same issue, we're giving government the power over something we don't want them to have power. But on the other hand, what we're facing now with most of the legacy media, just outright lying and the masks, no better, no better subject than that, this whole COVID thing. What did they say? The American media, I think, was 91% negative on COVID and the European media was in the 50s. Well, I'd like the analogy to, you know, you can be disbarred or as a physician, you know, you can be sued for malpractice. Why, you know, what's the argument that this is any different, that they because shouldn't because be liable speech. for malpractice? Because it's speech and press. I think, I mean, do, that's the same thing as saying have, have a license for a gun. I think, you, you know, you, you had in the show notes, the, the, the judge that dissented on, uh, on the libel case. And I think that overturning New York Times versus Sullivan is really the issue with the press. And that's really what needs to happen going forward. Trump mentioned it, but Trump was an awful messenger for that message because Trump is as big a liar as anybody else. No offense to him and, you know, no offense to the supporters. I'm, I'm one of them, but, uh, you know, Trump, when Trump, uh, you know, accused Raphael Cruz of being part of the Kennedy assassination, he was taking advantage of New York Times versus Sullivan, and he was getting the National Enquirer to take advantage of New York Times versus Sullivan. And that case is the one that needs to be overturned. We don't need to license the press. We just need to make them responsible for any missteps and misstatements that they make. And right now, they're not, they're not subject to liability for pretty much anything they print. Okay, but the New York Times versus Sullivan has to do only with libel, correct? Def defamation generally. Right. So it's a lie against the person that hurts a person or company or something, but there's no control against just outright lying. And we may not want there to be any control against outright lying. I don't think I do. I mean, that's my objection to the Facebook police, all the fact checkers, you know, the, the, the way to deal with, with false speech is to have more speech. And, so you know, so, that, ahead, that notion right there, the solution to bad speech is more speech. But what happens when you can't get your more speech through? When those who control access to the speech to combat bad speech, what do you do when you're right? The solution to bad speech is more speech. The solution to lies it is truth. But when when they act, they have the um, 
pathway to the people and they deny it to you, now what do you do? Okay, so I'm going to bring this argument back to what we were debating about before. We're saying in the case of the bill Melissa wants to pass, we're against it in principle, but it's what we have to do now to fight back, even though it's not a principle we like. Why are we not in favor of the government forcing Facebook and forcing Twitter to publicize things? Facebook just took down an interview of Lara Trump of a president of the United States. It's all over the news. Why don't we say, normally we don't want the government forcing private media, but we're in such a situation where we have to. We have to force Twitter to not censor the New York Post story on Hunter Biden. Well, Why I, is that I, different I tend to than the mass that, argument? I, I tend to think that regulation as we understand it, is, is generally a bad idea because of regulatory capture. But what we can do is give private a right to legal action um, with something like making uh, political viewpoints uh, part of the, um, you know. Protected class. Protected class, race, sex, et cetera. And then give, uh, you know, private right of action to to sue, I, rather than there be a government ministry of information that determines which fact checkers can fact check. Which, okay, I'm which asking you, Ed, if we should force a restaurant to let people in without masks, should we force Facebook to cover Donald Trump's press conferences or Donald Trump's interviews? And what's the difference if not? Okay, so in you know a long time ago. The, this idea of a common carrier arose uh, with the railroads. I, you, you guys are are uh, you know, probably familiar with it, but the the idea is that if a railroad uh, gave a seat to a, a bank robber that was fleeing his bank, um, and the bank robber used the railroad to go, the the railroad was not liable for you know assisting the bank robber to escape because it was a it was a common carrier. It offered its terms. Everyone, um, and that uh, that idea of a common carry was was brought forward, um, and and that was more of a, you know, that was that was positive law, but it it was very much due to um, these unique situations that that came up um, back in the 1800s when railroads were first going on, and that came forward to like the. Um, like the telephone and telegraph, um, again, it's a common carrier. The, the fact that I'm talking to Ed on the phone and we're plotting a, uh, a crime uh, doesn't mean that the telephone company is, um, is liable. But in return for that, the telephone company has to provide a service and the railroads have to provide service and the gas company has to provide a service the electric company we don't you know if we don't pay we don't get on but it you know basically the whole idea of a common carrier is that um there's a limitation of liability on the part of the carrier combined with a requirement on the carrier to um meet all comers and that's kind of what got perverted with regard to the you know the restaurants who wouldn't serve black people or whatnot that they were uh, the public accommodation laws came out of the common carrier law with of the same thing you, you treat everybody equally um and you get limited liability as opposed to like a private club you know private club you could admit whoever you want now that's been destroyed by the judges but it's back when the, we actually had law. Um, and so I think that's the kind of thing we need to understand. It's not, a, it's not an invasion of Facebook or Twitter's right to have their own company, but they are 
they are common carriers. And if they don't want to be common carriers, then they're going to have to have the limitation of liability that they enjoy as common carriers um, basically removed. And I think that's the whole Section 230 um, argument, uh, although Section 230 doesn't quite say what people think it says, but you, you get the idea is that in, in, in exchange for opening up your doors to everyone, uh, you get limitation of liability for what they say. And either Facebook and Twitter and all these things agree with that, or then, then they can be private clubs and they can only, you know, by invitation only, they can invite the people uh, they, they, want to, they want to invite. And that, that's kind of my solution to that, that issue. And it, it, it's very much in line with the, the historical evolution of the law as these new technologies got invented and brought to market in the United States. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying through that logic, Twitter should be forced to have let the Hunter Biden New York Post story stay up and Facebook should be forced. And if they don't want to be forced, then they're giving up any other protections that they have. The, the interesting thing about the Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, um, and I wrote a little essay on this, uh, is not so much that they're anti-free speech, though they are, um, is that they're anti-due process of law. So for instance, um, if I went into the restaurant and uh, and they said, you've got to get out of here. You're not wearing a mask. And I'm like, hey, I'm wearing a mask. Look, there's a mask. Here, I'll take a picture with my phone, mask. And then he grabs me and he throws me out. I can go to the, you know, uh, I can go to the policeman. It's like, look, see, I was wearing a mask. And they have no due process of law in any of these. They're, they're almost entirely arbitrary decisions. There's no factual basis to any of them. They are made up on the spot. Their rules keep changing day to day. Um, it's a complete a Kafka-esque situation with these social media companies. And I wouldn't care if they had objective rules that they enforced equally, that would be fine too. They have to be made to live up to their own terms of service. Their own terms of service says, we will do this. And then they don't do it. They apply it unequally and whatnot. And that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do for a court to, be, uh, for a, um, you know, person to be given standing to sue um, for them to live up their terms of service. It's it's very simple. I mean, you you if you had their, your kosher restaurant and you said, I'm sorry, we don't serve milk and meat uh, together because that's unkosher. And you go in and you say, okay, I kind of wanted uh, some cheese on my burger. That's okay. And then you see the guy next to you and he's having a cheeseburger. You're going to say, what? You know, and the waiter says, no, sorry, we don't serve milk and uh, meat together. And you're like, but, but, but. And, and then you get, oh, no, 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 that's not milk. But it's, you know, that's the sort of argument you get into with these social media companies. It's completely arbitrary and, and there's no recourse. There's no, there's no recourse to the courts. They have these bizarre terms of service that don't allow you to, uh, to sue them. They don't allow class action suits. They force you into these absurd ar arbitrations, one of which I'm trying to uh, participate in right now, which is grotesquely time-consuming, and um, something's got to give. So, Ed, why isn't that more the solution then? Because that's been my big complaint is 
you know, there's no transparency. They can say you're banned for, you know, not abiding by these rules, but then never showing evidence of rules that you didn't abide by. Um, Oh, yes, that was essentially. So why isn't the solution to force uh, some sort of contract like that they can't they can't be willy nilly on this sort of contract that they're you know, entering into when people go on their platforms and then they ban I don't want to, I don't want to uh, waste the time with poor Melissa, who is one of the greatest uh, uh, legislators, uh, legislators I've ever seen. Um, but I could speak an hour and a half on this whole subject because I am involved in an arbitration right now against one of these big tech companies. And it's just, it's extremely eye-opening. I, I, so I'm playing a lawyer on TV since I'm representing myself. And it's, it's very, very interesting um, how uh, they, heads I win, tails you lose, these tech companies do. And, uh, you know, no, no real- My legal covenant system. of good faith and fair dealing, Ed. We're working on it. I wanna bring up a different bill that Idaho did and see what you guys think about this as a solution to the, the vaccine passport issue, okay? Um, Daniel Horowitz sent me this. He sends me bills now. Um, and um, all right, so it is a bill that basically, um, it, it, it makes it so that the state cannot enter into any contract with any private business that engages in discrimination against an unvaccinated person. So in that way, that's sort of like a roundabout I like the wording. Way. I like that wording. Yes. It, it, it's kind of a roundabout way of handling the private property rights issue, right? It's not saying the, the company cannot do whatever they want, but they're not gonna get a drop of money from the state. Mm -hmm. I like I like that. It might set a precedent, you know, a, a better precedent. What do you guys think about that? I think it sounds like a good bill. I'd like to see the bill, but it sounds good to me. I'll send it to you. Okay. And I like the, the word of the use discrimination because it's what it is. And, you know, it's one of those words. It's, it's a word that has emotional power. You know, yeah. I'm not sure if this is the same issue, the opposite issue or totally unrelated issue, but you look at the pressure being put on Georgia through tremendous corporations who are being bombarded with boycott threats, et cetera. Coca-Cola is under pressure to pressure the government of Georgia. PGA is pressuring the government of Georgia. I think the, NAS, the uh, NCAA pressuring the government of Georgia. And it gets back to this private government pressures that we're putting up against people. So we're gonna celebrate a government not doing business with a private business that does A, B, and C. Are we once again confusing this whole government and private private corporation things. What, or, what's the name for yeah. this oligarchy? Is that, what's the best name? Well, yeah, I was thinking the other day of like, there's, there's, um, there's different colors of red pills, right? I mean, the, the, the least, the, the least red of the red pills, you know, like a flame pill is the media lies about everything. And then, and then, you know, you get down to the scarlet red pill and it's the government lies about everything. And then, 
you know, Ruby pill, I think is the cor uh, corporations are not our friends. And then much of science is narrative based and irreproducible. And then you get down to like the burgundy or maroon pill. And that's like, we're ruled by an oligarchy of the media, the deep state corporations and universities. And so, you know, and you probably can go um, further down than that. And, uh, you know, it's, we have to, uh, we have to make sure that, um, you know. Okay, so what's the solution to an oligarchy? Anyone? Uh, revolution, but it doesn't have to be a violent revolution. It can be a peaceful revolution. Okay, so I love that idea, except in an oligarchy, technically they're gonna control all our income, right? They're gonna decide whether or not we're gonna be able to bank or whether or not I mean, more so now than ever. So automatically, even nonviolently, they have the upper hand in a big way. The good right. news so is for our, from our perspective, unlike the Chinese, uh, the Chinese oligarchy, uh, they're really smart. They actually use um, uh, stringent testing and uh, academic scholarship uh, to choose their oligarchs. We um, just appoint morons. So. <laughs> Um, so it, it gives uh, it gives us a great deal of advantage because the people in our, our oligarchy are are idiots. So, so that's true. hilarious. But no, but I, don't you think that like I mean the vaccine passport is going to end up controlling our currency, right? Like we're we're cre we're going to create this platform that can be used to control our entire lives and everything mm -hmm. about us. You know, we're going to get a social credit score. Like th this is where we're headed. Yeah. And so I think the least that the government could do is decide that they're not going to give taxpayer dollars to it. You know what I'm saying? It's true. And Jody, you know, the, the conundrum that you mentioned about the oligarchy, that's why when we get someone like Melissa, who's a good legislator in charge, we can't tell her that she can't act to help us and protect us. On no, I get that. I, I get that. I'm just arguing my concern for, okay, we're in a bad situation. I'm just, I've just been advocating. I'm concerned for, and then 10, 20 years when, but we did it this time. So let's do it again. And then we do it this time. And so let's do it again. It's just, it's that slippery slope of starting with, oh, look, we have this problem create this government law to solve the problem, which ultimately over time, it's right, but the, the problem is worse um, and you can't roll it back. Understood, but look at the slippery slope on the other side. I mean, look at the precedents that are being set with the mask mandate and the vaccine mandate and all the other things that are going on, you know, the, the business shutdowns and the church shutdowns and synagogue shutdowns. I mean, Melissa, is your bill really, is it strictly corporate? I mean, does it leave the mom and pop businesses out? No, HB 506 is a public accommodation change. Public accommodation is everybody. Um, so some little business couldn't mandate masks in their store. Correct. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm not going to lie. I... I would not mandate masks, but I do not want some little business who, you know, they're concerned. Maybe they, I don't know, whatever, but they, I'm not comfortable with the government saying they can't. I'm really uncomfortable with that. 
you know, Daniel Horowitz, Daniel Horowitz makes this argument all the time, and it's, I think it kind of supports Ed Maslisch's position that, you know, we're really good law-abiding citizens and under no circumstances would we ever break a law. Does that mean if we were kidnapped and locked in a room, we wouldn't break a window? And I think that's kind of what a lot of people are arguing. We're not in a situation where we can follow the laws without killing ourselves. And therefore, under these circumstances, now that we're kidnapped, unfortunately, most circumstances aren't quite as, I don't want to say black and white, we'll say red and blue, as being kidnapped. But I, again... Let me ask this. What would be the harm in having a bill that affirmatively states that um, private corporations have the right to decide for themselves rather than have a public accommodation. Because they already do have the right to decide for themselves. Well, they, I mean, they, they don't. don't because we have mass mandates and yeah. we're trying to end that, but that's- I mean, you know, I, I, you know, a hundred million times more about being a legislator than I do, but I, Maybe. but uh, because I know nothing. Um, I'm the Sergeant Schultz of legislators, but I mean, why hasn't someone f at least filed for impeachment of Sununu? Because he deserves to be impeached. I did. You Melissa did. did. Oh, oh, Melissa, you're up. Oh, oh. Melissa did. And if I, you can speak for yourself, but I think that got crushed. Yeah. I mean, the reality is a Republican legislature is never going to vote to impeach a Republican governor, right? That's just never going to happen under any circumstances. But, you know, we had a little fun. Um, it, there were there, reasons for doing it, but it, it was never going to succeed. Good for you. I'm glad to hear you did that. That was one of the first things you did, right? That was literally, I just gotten elected and I hadn't even been sworn in. And I was joking with people. I was like, can they like not let me get sworn in? <laughs> I mean, it caused a, a storm. Yeah, I, I, I may have had a few panic phone calls to people being like, I think I jumped in the deep end and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Next time in New Hampshire, dinner's on me. Including yeah, alcohol. In a non-mask place. Well, now Nancy Pelosi is saying she has the power to chuck legislators. So I guess maybe, you know, whoever's running it in New Hampshire could say the same thing. We don't like- Yes, speakers always have the ultimate right to do anything. So we actually just, the Democrats sued the Republicans in the House in New Hampshire um, because they wanted to have virtual sessions and they were claiming that their ADA rights were being violated by forcing them to come to session in person. Now, mind you, to accommodate their ADA rights, we were literally getting sworn in in the middle of winter out in a field six feet apart. We did a drive-through session. We were all in our own cars, okay? But um, they sued, and it was the courts determined that speakers have the right to operate sessions in any manner that they, they wish. So, yes, Nancy Pelosi does have that right. She has a right to unseat people? No, 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 no. They kicked them out of the chamber. A notification just came over my phone saying that the Democrat in this particular case has withdrawn. So that's over. But um, they did seat the Republican. They cannot unseat her without a vote of two thirds. Two thirds, right. So they, they could have refused to seat her with a vote of 50 plus one percent. But they did seat her. To get rid of her, it was a vote of two thirds. And but Nancy Pelosi made that up that she had that power. Uh, Nancy Pelosi lied. I know that's shocking. Yeah, as a Baltimorean, I'm shocked that Alessandro would lie. Mm -hmm. 
Did anyone else have any visceral reactions to Ted Cruz being blocked from taking pictures? I, My reaction was, I thought he was acting like a beta male whining about it. He should have just done, I mean, he did take some pictures and he should have just, he shouldn't have whined about it. Why is he whining about it? I, I go on, you know, federal installations all the time and there's rules you don't take pictures and so you don't take pictures. Now, I, I should, should he have been able to? Yes, I guess he should have been. But the problem with these rules is they are facially neutral. And so it's hard to say one way or the other. Obviously, it's done for hiding things. Um, I, I don't like any of these kind of things. I mean, they're always just political games. That whole thing was just a political game. And I don't really like get that worked up about political games, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or Republican doing it. I mean, when Trump was in power, <laughs> right, AOC went down there and cried. And it's the same thing. The, um, Ed, in the Constitution, the fact that the Congress people are protected, that's only on the House floor from anything they say? Or the Senate floor. Right, but not just execution of the duties. It has to be- In, in, in committees, I think, in committees, they're protected too. But yeah. on, it has to be on site. Yeah, yeah. So if they went to Mount Rushmore and libeled somebody, they could be libeled, just not on the House floor. Now, like Heidi, well, she's a former senator, just lied about Gina Carano. She- She's going to get her ass sued, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Okay. What have we not brought up today that we wanted to bring up, folks? Well, I've had an interesting couple of days watching the um, Chauvin trial. And uh, on top of that, I stumbled across the Black News Network, which I, Black, Black News Channel, I've never, never heard of it, but it actually exists. Oh my God, that's awesome. And I've, purposely been watching that channel. I mean, they're, they're covering the trial pretty much, you know, all day. It reminds me of the OJ trial back in the day with Court TV. So I'm, I'm not sure where else it's being covered, but uh, it, it, I can't say it's been overly enlightening. It's been, I mean, basically the whole premise of the channel is that blacks are oppressed and racism is, is everywhere. And So it's like every other channel, as you're saying. Yeah, but I think what's troubling about it is that you're dealing, I don't want to put people in groups, but <laughs> we're talking about the black black population. Virtually every person they have on the channel is black. I don't think I've seen any white guests even. And it's troubling to me that something so one-sided could be presented. No, no other side to the story, not just the Chauvin trial, but the current... Um, the, the laws in Georgia right now that they're considering to reform the elections down there and things like that are automatically racist. So what's the name of the channel again? Sorry? What's the name of the, is it really BNN? Black News Channel. Oh, I, BNC. Yeah, and I have, I think it's on TV plus or something with my smart You TV. know, it's, Mike, it's further um, segregation, really. I mean, really, it just everything is gonna be segregated, right? Media. Our, our, where we go to school, where we live. I mean, something that we were supposedly trying to move the ball away from and, you know, s stop with the, with the, everybody in their colored in their groups. And it's just more of that. It's very sad. Jody, did you not hear that Columbia University had six graduations? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. Every different sector of society. It, it, yeah. To me, the whole well, idea Chicago. of the black yeah. news. I mean, do they have different weather than we do? <laughs> well, because they call some of the Look weather. Chicago, right? right? Chicago is supposed to be a bastion of leftism and controlled by Democrats. And it's one of the most segregated cities in America. And well, climate change you know, and climate is different for, for blacks than whites. We well, they say they're going to be, you know, disproportionately affected by it. So there is weather well, for different people. That's it, very it scary. Because some of the, the things about COVID and how it's disproportionately affected blacks and Hispanics, um, moratorium on, on rent, things like that, everything, all these issues are framed as they're being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it, it, part of me is, I don't say I'm amused by it, but more it's, it is sad because, you know, if I'm a black person and I'm watching that channel and I'm absorbing all this, it, it would make me mad. It would mm -hmm. that, that the country's bad. There's, there's, again, there's no other side to the story. I mean, there, there, but you're not calling for a fairness doctrine, are it's you? It's not right? healing. No, absolutely not. No, no. It's no. not healing. I'm pointing it out. I'm just, it's just my observation. You know, they talk about there's different policing in white communities versus black communities. And they root even that in going back to the fugitive slave laws, that there's been differences in policing in these communities. There's, there's no discussion about the, the problems in the black community that, or, you know, really in a way it's urban versus suburban to some extent, right? But obviously there's more crime in those communities and, and the crime isn't just being made up out of thin air, it's, it's real, right? I mean, you know, I think we should have I, a discussion just, of urban versus suburbs because the urban areas are horrifying and again, run by Democrats for decades, filled with leftist people so why are they? And it can only get worse. Imagine, imagine you are a white police officer in one of these major uh, black areas. What's the upside of not moving and getting a job elsewhere? I mean, th is there any upside these days under these conditions to be a white police officer in a black area? All I, all, all, I, I'm sure all any of them can see, especially if Chauvin gets uh, convicted, is that uh, oh we're both we're both showing our offspring mine is non-human um, if Chauvin gets convicted is there's no upside at all to being a white officer in in a black neighborhood so I mean, my understanding is that New York City officially got rid of qual qualified immunity for NYPD today oh. which is going to be really interesting to see what the repercussions um, frankly I believe a lot of people join the NYPD as a stepping stone it's a resume builder and they do go to other police forces where they make triple the amount. And it's a phenomenal resume builder. Because otherwise, yeah, there is no upside. And the irony is that a lot of the, quote, racist behavior of cops against the blacks is coming from minority cops. But they, they don't want to talk about that either. So. Uh, the NYPD is, uh, I, obviously there's bad apples, um, but it is one of the more professional and, and serious uh, organizations in, in policing organizations in an urban area. I, I think they, uh, you know, they, they had their problems like all police forces have their problems, but they, uh, they did good until recently. And now you, do you know that we're going to surpass 25,000 murders this year? First time since like 1995. That's because these guns have been escaping the stores and going out and wrecking havoc on communities. Wait, That's when true. you say this year, do you mean 2020? 
2021. We're on, really? we're on track to 25,000. Okay, so they, they, it's going to be a hard time blaming Trump. Oh, they'll uh, do it. I'm sure. <laughs> sure they'll find a way, but. Trump is responsible for the border right now, the border crisis. Well, I have yeah. a question for the state legislator then. You know, they changed the do not, the walk and do not walk signs from numbers to pictures in many places in the country. So do, are they going to have those signs in a language that the guns can read? Because there's so many guns walking around the street looking for people to kill and they won't know when to cross or not. <laughs> That's very funny. It's uh, yeah. They really say, you know, the guns are killing people. And I've, I've never seen an animate gun. <laughs> so... I listen, hey, New Hampshire has like basically no gun laws, right? Like yes. we're like one of the loosest states and I think we have the highest gun ownership per capita or like almost. All right, you know, because like the lowest why would I commit a crime when everybody there is carrying? We have, we have the lowest gun crime rates in the country. So like. Until recently, they just handed everybody a gun when they came to Virginia. Was like <laughs> well, you know, brings, bringing up the, uh, what state was it? Who wanted to make where uh, everybody's part of a militia in their state? Yeah, it was it Kentucky? Which state? Yes, somebody what state came was up that? With uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. Carolina. South, South, mm -hmm. South Carolina. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, well, it's sort of like the idea Melissa mentioned. It's using the government in a roundabout way to get what we want. Guys, yeah. we're way over time, so I want to give everybody a chance to talk about what they didn't get to talk about. Any takers? Well, one story that we didn't get to was the Matt Gates story that broke in the last 24 hours. Um, Matt Gates is, in my opinion, probably the one of the best friends we have in, in either House of Congress. And I saw his repudiation of the story on Tucker last night. Um, and, you know, my take from it is, I mean, I guess I have two takes. One is, Trust but verify. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was a very convincing. Uh, uh, he gave a very convincing uh, repudiation of the allegations. Uh, nonetheless, you know, I'm I'm cautious about any celebrity and any pub, any politician these days. So, you know, let's see what the facts come out to. But um, I, I believed him when I heard him. Well, as a girl, which is new for Republican politicians. Right. Ouch. If we're a boy. Then yeah. it would be guaranteed Republican. Yeah. The <laughs> Democrats, it was all about her. I actually haven't heard this story yet. So for our listeners, Ed, what, what is it? It's well, the allegation is that uh, Gates was paying money to transport some 17-year-old girl across state lines and that there's a DOJ investigation of him uh, being accused of sex trafficking. Um, he completely denies it. He says it's completely untrue and that in fact, the DOJ, invest DOJ investigation is uh, over a, an attempt to extort him and his family of, of, I forget the exact number, but several multi-millions of dollars. $25 million. 20, okay, that's that sounds right. $25 million. Um, uh, over, I guess, over that same story, right, Steve? I believe so. Yeah, that that if he, if uh, if if Gates would give him the twenty five million, the story would go away, and and he was even apparently dangled a par potential pardon from from Biden, and he said to Tucker that he doesn't want a pardon, he hasn't asked for a pardon, he doesn't need a pardon. Um, 
Because uh, he so, didn't do anything wrong. Correct. Um, and, you know, my, my other take on the story is that the left will always show you who they're, who they're scared of. And they try and take down the people that they're most scared of. And I think they're scared of Matt Gates. And I think with good reason, because that guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. He speaks with confidence and with authority. And he says the right things. And um, that I was think my immediate thought. Future. But they're also floating, they're floating a story that he's thinking about leaving Congress to work for, I forget, the press or something, which I'm not sure if that's tied into this in any way, but that's been around for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I heard that. And I, my guess is that that is, um, you know, before this all blew up publicly, that was the escape route. So I don't know. And the other thing is, I think he could get away with this just by becoming governor of New York. Potentially. Because I, I believe Cuomo is going to ride this one out. And I'm, sadly, he's got about nine or 10 accusers, and I think he will ride it out because he's got the right letter after his name. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's about the right letter because it, if it were about him being a Democrat, these, these charges wouldn't would have been buried. They would have been made public. Um, I think the fact that it's been made so public is proof to me that the Democrats want to get rid of him. Uh, but he's a tough guy and, you know, he's got a, a, you know, he's got a history in politics. His dad was a politician and, you know, this isn't his first rodeo. Um, I, and I think that he does have national ambitions and he's not willing to let them go right away. So I, I that's why I think, I think he's going to hang on, not because he's a Democrat, but because he is, he wants to go forward. But don't you think that the media would be a lot more vicious in getting him out if he weren't a Democrat? I mean, he would have already been so yeah, I mean, but if, abused by media if he were a Republican. I, I agree if he were a Republican, but if he were a typical Democrat, you wouldn't even know the story. There's some reason why the story is being repeated over and over and over again. Well, I think he's he got enemies. To get rid of the, the, the COVID story about him. So I believe- I'm positive they knew about this forever. Yeah. I mean, this came what happened out to, because of the COVID thing. What happened to Tara Reid and, and Joe Biden? Nobody knows that story. I know that, that story. Sexual assault. So I and, believe that when Bill Clinton ages out, the next Women's Empowerment Conference to be held with our esteemed President Harris, the partner will then be Cuomo, replacing Bill Clinton and protecting women's rights. Or maybe uh, he'll be Cackle uh, uh, Commie's um, <laughs> vice president. You never know. Ooh. Yeah, she's making Hillary's cackle seem very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, mild. So oh. if I get the one last thing, um, just came over the transom here at four o'clock. Manhattan prosecutors subpoena the bank records of Trump's longtime CFO, Alan H. Weisselberg, and probe the gifts he received in a, quote, bid to get him to cooperate against his boss, unquote. Subpoena comes as questions emerged over gifts Weisselberg received from the former president. It's also an attempt to get him to cooperate with the probe despite not being accused of any wrongdoing. His daughter-in-law said her former father-in-law will flip on Trump to protect his own kids from liability. And that's from the Daily Mail because you got to go to England to get news of America these days. And uh, this is kind of, I'm surprised it's happening uh, two months later than I thought, but I knew this was going to happen. They're afraid of Trump. And um, I agree with Ed that 
Trump was mostly uh, inefficacious, but uh, they are afraid of him and they're going to put him in jail or he's going to have to flee the country. And I predict the latter. And no country will take him, by the way. Israel will take him. Ooh, I don't know. That's really interesting. You're familiar with the Israeli press? I know they're hold, no holds barred, but uh, I think- they're Very much like the American press. I, that's an interesting discussion. I guess we could have at some point. It, would, would Israel take him? I don't know. I think they'll name a city after him, but I don't think they'll take him. Got enough problems with the dual loyalty uh, claims, et cetera. Okay, we'll wrap it up for today. I, for one, enjoyed this so thoroughly. Thank you once again, Representative Blasek, for joining us. Thanks, everyone for else, for me. your very, very uh, welcomed comments and thoughts and opinions. May have even changed my mind, which doesn't happen very often. And we will be up on SoundCloud, Rumble, and iTunes very shortly. And once again, our email address is ejsshow at ProtonMail. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your feedback what we should talk more about, what we should talk less about, if we should talk over each other even more than we do. With that, I wish everyone a good afternoon and evening, and we will be back next Wednesday at 4 p.m.